Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Welcome to Spoken Word on Community Radio 3CR. This is the voice of Santo Cazzati, and today I would like to present for your listening pleasure and aesthetic digestion my guest today, Fu Lin Tran. Lin has just released a chapbook of poetry which goes by the most quirky title, Adventures in P Minor. It has a photo of someone playing piano, so that rather confirms that P minor is indeed a music reference, but those among you who know anything about music will know that there is no such thing as P minor in music. They only go up to G in the music alphabet. So it is an immediately intriguing thing as to why Lynn has chosen this exotic musical key. Hopefully she'll explain. Um, the front page of the book says... Um, Adventures in P minor, then you've got a colon and a sort of a subtitle, A Treacherous Journey into Comedy, Tragedy and Words. So anyway, Lynn is in the studio with me right now. Well, welcome to uh, 3CR Spoken Word. Lynn. Thank you, Santo. It's a real honour and pleasure to finally grace the studios of 3CR. Did you say grease the studios? No, grace. Oh, grace. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I just want to say I've greatly admired your work on, on the airwaves on 3CR as both a spoken word artist and host. Well, that was immensely flattering to hear. So, adventures in P minor, what does it all mean? Well, um, it really refers to two things. Uh, the first being my journey into poetry and the culmination of experience I've had, starting from just wanting to try it as a fleeting, uh, you know, just a fleeting interest as an amateur, uh, to confidently and successfully performing my own work regularly on open mic nights. And it's really just a culmination or collection of works I've performed at various open mics around Melbourne between May and July this year. Uh, leading up to my first feature at Bemused at the Resistance Bar in late August. And it really just showcases my personal evolution as both a poet and as someone experiencing personal growth and self-actualization as both an artist and as a, as a human. Um, but I guess like if I'm going to be quite analytical about it, um, the real meaning has quite uh, a lot of esoteric overtones. Approximately five years ago, I started reading uh, Haruki Murakami, who wrote uh, Norwegian Wood, um, Wind Up Bird Chronicle, various other very popular novels that are read today. And I, I read them very intensely. And he's, he's an interesting novelist for various reasons, um, as well as being quite enigmatic himself. And he rarely appears in interviews or offers any explanations for his work or his creative process. His writing and stories are very enigmatic in themselves. Uh, there's many references to history, Western literature, culture and music. And what quite fascinated, fascinated me was the fantasy element to these stories. Uh, Murakami would start off with uh, a mundane, what I call a mundane surface storyline, and he would meander into some very offbeaten territory. And characters would appear and then mysteriously disappear, and he would litter various mysterious objects throughout his novels that were often left unexplained. Uh, one particular device I liked were objects he would link to the unseen world of his characters, in both the Wind Up Bird Chronicle and Colorless Sukuru's Tazaki and his Years of Pilgrimage, there's some strange references to extra fingers and mysterious hands. 
And there's also links to classical and jazz pieces, um, which is a reference to his long love of music and once owning a jazz club in, in Tokyo. And I like this idea that objects would be used to link up to the spiritual esoteric world of creation. Um, so the most easiest reference that comes to mind when I think of the letter P is, of course, the word poetry. But P stands for many things. Um, in reference to my creation process, uh, the way I imagine it, it's the key I play to access my poems. Now, I don't actually play piano or any musical instrument like yourself, Santo, but when I create my poems, I have this parallel reality that I play out where I imagine I actually do. And when I'm typing at my keyboard and creating my poems in, in the word processor, I feel like I'm creating a song. And it actually comes quite easily, but only when I feel like I'm playing P minor. And whether every poet knows it or not, they, cre they create their, their words, their, their work using P minor. And the way I can explain it, it's the key no one sees, but everyone uses um, straight from the divine creator, right down to your hands and when you type and then if you choose speaking on a stage. And I believe we're all accessing the same energetic network, which is the, like I, 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 said, I said before, it's the invisible world accessed by all creatives, creative outputters. And um, that's why I believe some of the themes used in poetry are very similar. Um, but I also believe there's a similar creation process used between mu musicians and poets that's somewhat mysterious. And I call it the, um, I personally call it the other word, the other world of the other words. And that's what the P minor reference refers to. It's the elusive key of inspiration and creation. Wow. That is unbelievable, and um, that tells me a great deal uh, and answers a lot of my questions. And how would you like to actually read uh, what I suppose is the signature poem, uh, P is for dot, dot, dot? Yeah, I'd love to read it for you now, if you don't mind. Go right ahead. <laughs> All right. So this poem's called P is for. P is for poetry, piracy, poetic license, pneumatic. Problematic, post-traumatic, piano, pinto, pino, poem, phlegm, problem, pizza, pasta, plaster, plaza, piazza, Pandora's box, paradox, and finally, P minor, the off-sounding key that doesn't rhyme with anything sincere, but is the passacaglia in God's ear. Fulintran reading from her new chapbook. Uh, now, Lynn, I would like to move on to a longer poem in the book. Some poems in the book are very brief, some are more extended, and one of the extended ones intrigued me, not least because I'm a convinced atheist. The poem's title is God Rides the Bus With Me, and I must say the poem itself is even more intriguing than the title. Could you uh, tell us something about the motivation for this poem and then you might as well just um, launch into reading the whole thing after that? Sure, Santo. Uh, I've always held a deep inner belief in a higher power, but just not in an organised religious sense. I also have a fascination for riding suburban buses and travelling and spending a lot of time on public transport because I don't drive. And you get to observe a lot of about human behaviour, riding a bus at least 10 hours a week. Uh, I feel a deep spiritual connection to where I live, and at times I feel like I have an out-of-body experience when I ride on public transport, as if another identity within expresses a fascinating interest in what it observes within the body. So I feel like I have a close relationship with the higher power, or God, if you will. So God feels within and without, 
like we're a team having the same experiences of God is my shadow identity walking the same footsteps. So I don't believe in God in, God as in some old man entity pointing down his judgmental finger on us far removed from our experience. I really believe we're sharing the same experience. So why wouldn't God ride the bus to try on a cable knit jumper at Savers? If we're doing it, God is doing it too. The higher power on the public transport, isn't that the plainclothes ticket inspectors? Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's stop being flippant. Um, let's hear the poem. Okay. God rides the bus with me. God rides the bus with me. He visibly reaches out his long arm and hails the bus so the driver doesn't miss the stop, like he often does when I try and hail the bus alone. But when God reaches out, he never fails to see me. God validates my Mikey card for me, and if it's running low on credit, hands over $2 to top it up. We always manage to find a seat when God rides with me. We sit shoulder to shoulder beside each other. God has a larger ass and takes up over 50% of the seating distribution. I am secretly resentful of the uneven snugness, but say nothing. We both stare out the window and notice the rapidly passing scenery. Parks, factories, disused and abandoned commercial buildings, new high-rises overcrowding the skyline, art deco homes from a bygone era. God is shocked but fascinated by rapidly changing urban landscape and makes snide remarks about the gaudiness of 20th century architecture. I tell God to shut the fuck up. I'm not interested and still have a hangover from drinking gin the night before. I'm dying for a coffee and a smoke. I know when God is interested in something because I feel a strain behind my eyeballs. His interest is particularly piqued when he sees single mothers struggling to get on the bus with their bulky strollers, Somalian schoolgirls giggling and gossiping in their language, the crazy guy who smells questionable and talks to himself. He gives me a firm push behind my shoulder to help, smile, ask questions, engage, because of his incessant need to find out more about the human experience, the experience he can't have alone because he's formless and spirit. Sometimes I push back and yell, no, but most of the time I do what he says, or I will never hear the end of it when I get back home. Once we missed the bus in Footscray to go back to Brunswick, because God wanted to spend more time in Savers, trying on a cable knit jumper. Christ, was I pierced. We had to wait 25 minutes for the next one, and it was raining, and I didn't have an umbrella, and there was no bus shelter, and my shoes got wet. The week after, I told God I wasn't going to catch the bus with him and walk instead. God apologised, but I realised that travelling alone is no way to be. I miss God too much and saw him sitting on, at the stop alone with his arms crossed, brooding, sulking. I gave God a hug and said I would ride the bus again with him. We are a travelling pair of wanderers when we are on that goddamn bus, God and I.
You're on Community Radio 3CR. This is the Spoken Word Programme and it is being presented today by Santo Cazzati. That's me. And I'm in the studio with my guest today, Fulin Tran, who will now read a poem with a rather provocative title. Poetry is like diarrhoea. Poetry is like diarrhoea. When the moment comes, it shoots out at a speed you don't expect, landing splat on the page in a liquid mess. But you need to be there to capture the moment, take the credit, maybe clean it up too. Poetry is like going home with someone after too many drinks. It feels good in the moment, but there are no guarantees your masterpiece of words is going to look or feel the same after a night together. Poetry is like a collage of garbage, stitched together and called postmodern. The individual elements make sense, but when read out as a whole, could sound like clanging tin lids to your audience and may be best left in your imagination. Well, I was going to ask what all that was about, but actually I think the poem was eminently self-explanatory. So we'll just leave it um, resting just like that. Um, There's another matter I actually do want to talk to you about, uh, Lynn. Uh, You and I both have what I shall call in mock disparaging tones ethnic names. So yours is a Vietnamese name and mine is Italian. But listeners will hear our voices and accents as completely Australian. And I know you've got a poem in there uh, precisely on this question. But uh, before you read it, uh, could I ask uh, if there's any role at all that ethnicity or ethnic background has played uh, either in your poetry or indeed in your life? Uh, Look, I didn't get interested in the migrant experience in literature until I read Nam Lee's The Boat and recently Ocean Vuong's book of poetry, Night Sky with Exit Wounds. Uh, I never thought my painful experiences as a first-generation Australian from a migrant family would amount to anything. And in fact, I never thought anyone was interested in hearing my story until I discovered these other voices with my story. When I first read Night Sky with Exit Wounds, I realised that I too could unite with these voices in poetry and find healing in the written word and spoken word. I'd never given myself permission before, um, but I found with poetry I I could. At first I just wanted to take the piss out of the ridiculous and hypocritical treatment of my seemingly exotic and alien ethnic identity. People People were always asking me where I came from and if I needed an interpreter. So I wrote the last question I want to hear to zone in on this ridiculous line of questioning as a way to deal with being constantly offended and patronised. I mean, after living in Australia for over 40 years, when will I finally be considered a native English speaker without having to explain my cultural heritage and language? I can't imagine Lee Lin Chin or Cindy Pan being asked these questions to the same extent I have. I don't see this as fair. Um, but then I realised I could use poetry as a means to sort out some of the confusion of my past experiences in my younger, formative years. Well, I reckon you should get a job as a newsreader on SBS or something, and then <laughs> you know, then they might just stop asking you these yeah, questions. Yeah, perhaps. But, uh, <laughs> never mind. Um, let's, let's hear the poem then. Okay. The last question I want to hear. The last question I want to hear when I go out is, where do you come from? I used to be offended, but now I just throw that question right back at them. Listen and learn. You mean like, did I come from around the corner, from the grocery store, from Fitzroy, from the dance floor, from the beach, from my mother's house, from a boozy night out, from a one-night stand, from watching a garage band, from Melbourne, from Perth, from planet Earth? And then you say something like, no, 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 I mean, where do you really come from? You mean from a fertilised egg and sperm, from my mother's womb? From the universe, from Mother Earth, from a pile of dirt, from a plume of dust, 
from a night of lust, from the sweat off someone's brow? Did you mean like now? Or how far back? Because I can go right back. Then you might say something like, no, 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 not that far back. I mean, I don't want to be racist, but you don't look like you're from around here. Now watch you squirm with embarrassment. I'm embarrassed for you. Why? I naively pose. Is it because I've got black hair and slanty ching chong eyes and yellowy skin and look like a chink that you immediately think I'm not from here? Even though I've been in this country for over 20 years, I'm a citizen. I've been educated at the same institutions as you have. I go to the same pubs. I listen to the same indie music tracks. I drink the same beer and have the same knowledge about music history and literary sense and the same accent. Yet, you say, I don't look like I'm from around here. Is that what you're saying? Again with a defensiveness. No, no, no. You just look different. Not bad different. I don't know. Just different. Well, I reply coolly. Is there really any other type of different? You sigh. I guess not. Ah, oh, never mind. But I just got to ask, because it's on this form, do you need an interpreter? On 3CR Spoken Word, the voice of Fulin Tran, reading from her new chapbook, Adventures in P Minor. Now, Lynn, I must come to the B word. Not the P word, but the B word. B is for body. You do have a lot to say, poetically, about, to quote you, uh, the body and its contradictions in the world. You've got an extended poem on that theme there, which I'd like to hear, so it's over to you. Oh, thanks, Santo. Um, this poem's really about the struggle I have in my body. I've currently got type 2 diabetes, which I think is nothing short of a nightmare. So it's partly about the fact that I need to re-engineer my body to be well and avoid complications later on in my life so I don't meet with an untimely premature death. And it's no easy task to work against the faulty programming rebuilt into what I call this monkey suit. But it's also about people's judgments about my body and appearance, leading them to dismiss my inequalities as invaluable. I've come to realise uh, self-acceptance is the key to peace. When you accept yourself, others do the same. So I wrote a love song to myself as a way of starting this process. And it's a naughty poke at myself, being a bit on the chubby side and adoring food a bit too much. But it also helps in growing to love the body I've been given, even with all its flaws and past negative experiences. So this is called uh, Fat, a love song dedication. Dear Fat... You've been called my enemy by all judgmental eyes. You've been unfairly misunderstood, but I always loved you nonetheless. People pitted us up against each other for many years. Everyone said I had to lose you if I couldn't use you. I had to burn you to earn the rewards of wearing a trim, fit, perfect form. The world informs me there are rewards to donning this acceptable uniform. Like men vying for my affection, my attention, garnering the respect of my peers, Invoking the smiles of the elderly. Because without looking fit and trim, I cannot be loved. I cannot fit in. I cannot be seen as strong, successful, powerful or right. I cannot be seen. I am relegated as a spectre, a nobody, a nothing faded into white. As if those things had anything to do with how much visual coverage people deemed as too much. But dear fat, no one saw how much you gave. On those cold, lonely nights when I had no lover... Your warm embrace around my internal organs kept me from shivering when those skinny, attractive girls from high school were gaunt and abused by anorexia and thuggish boyfriends, keeping them under control. You kept me invisible, unattractive and ignored. That's not a high price to pay for high cholesterol. You held on to my love handles when doctors wanted to separate us with a diet, 
but you kept coming back like it was kismet. No one can deny that. You sat me through every daytime television indulgence and never chastised me about my sugar intake or cheesecake refulgence. You buffered me through from unsightly bruises. You sweetened all those gag-worthy wheatgrass juices. You moisturised over the dry harshness of every word and rejection and kept me humble when I wanted to see more in my reflection. You filled out those skinny jeans when I wanted an hourglass shape. You were my best friend when food was my escape. I'll never let anyone call you those taunting names. I'd rather they be aimed at me and absorb their projected sense of shame. They are misdirected insults shot like missiles. You're a pig, a sow, a fat cow, chubby, tubby, a lard-arsed imbecile. Not clever or credible taunts, not at all laugh-worthy. But who wants to love someone who looks deathly, skeletal and expired? I want to spend time with people who are filled in, who proudly wear a comfy spare tyre, round, curvy, worthy to be admired. So pass the pizza and the carbs and that luscious cheese platter. Don't deprive me the joy of making me fatter. Our relationship is close. May nothing come between us. A love affair will make those stick insect models envious. So do what you do best of making me pudgy and rotund. I'll do my part of making sure you never come second to that illusion of being perfectly thin because that's the false dream. You're a real part of me, my true fat twin. Fulin Tran has been my guest on 3CR Spoken Word today. Her new chapbook, Adventures in P Minor, from which she has been reading today, is out now. I feel like saying available at all good bookshops, but I, I don't know exactly. It might be available at very disreputable bookshops. So I'll, I'll ask Lynn, how, how does one get hold of this book? Yes, you can com- contact me directly on Facebook under Fulin Tran. That's P-H-U hyphen L-I-N-H Tran, T-R-A-N. Uh, or you can contact me also on Instagram at geekgeeshagirl1979. Uh, just send me a message and uh, I will... Uh, give my account details and send you the PDF, and it's only $5. That is a scream. Only $5. Yeah. You should see what, what people are <laughs> you know, peddling for 15 and 20 and $30. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for being on the program. Look, I'm just going to go through a few community announcements before I hand over to you for the final word. Um, there are many live poetry gigs that happen in Melbourne. Uh, Lynn did refer to a few of them earlier on. A lot of these gigs have open mics if you'd like to try your hand at sharing your work with others, or uh, you don't have to do that. You can just go to listen. Check out the website, melbournespokenword.com, to find out more about the scene. That's um, all one word in lowercase, melbournespokenword.com. 3CR Spoken Word is on every Thursday morning between 9 and 9.30, And on the AM dial, you can find the uh, 3CR station uh, at 855. You can also um, hear our content on the web, www.3cr.org.au, either live or uh, you can replay on request for seven days after the first broadcast. Uh, And it's uh, also on our website that you'll find a number of our podcasts. So speaking of uh, podcasts, we also have a, a... permanent podcast archive. Uh, We have about 150 episodes there now. It's quite a historical thing, all these amazing people who come in and do this program for us. Some of them are uh, legends of Australian poetry. And uh, you can find that by going to a site called Podbean, Podbean, and uh, typing 3CR spoken word. You'll hear a lot of uh, episodes that we've uh, broadcast over the last 10 years because it is actually the 10th year that we've been running. 
So, to go out the same old way, until next time, this is Santo Cazzati signing off and shutting down. But I would like to give the last word to my guest, Fulin Tran, uh, and thank you for coming onto the program. Lynn, take it away. The jazz made me do it. It starts as a fine whisper. I feel it in my body. I hear it rise to my ears and seep into my mind. The bee bup a doo up doo up shoo up The jazz made me do it. It bounces around inside my chest, an out-of-control, directionless pinball circling inside my mind, a swirling vortex of frequencies. The jazz made me do it, feeling like I'm losing my mind. I blame it on the jazz. Dooby-doo, dooby-doo, swap, doo up Forming the words, transforming the lines on the page, moving my feet to the bossa nova beat, swaying my hips, quivering my lips. God moves through jazz through the scats and all the crazy cats, clicking their fingers to the formless format. A sound comes, soft first, then loud. The words, the words, the words, playing them like jaunty piano keys. It pours out of me, a gallon of pent-up cascading fury, until it floods onto the page in a mess of cursive font. It's the jazz that I want. As my eternal muse, it's the jazz I choose. The jazz made me do it, blame it on the jazz. It made me, it made me, it made me do a deal with the devil, pick up a guitar and sing the blues in a way that no one's ever seen. Pick up a gun and shoot, have sex with anything that moves. Do the Holston, the Charleston, the moves, the moves, the moves. Made me throw off my shoes in reckless childlike abandon and run through hot sandy beaches, smoke endless cigarettes, drink all the booze, make jazz hands. The devil made me do it. All the greats know jazz is the devil's work. The devil takes the credit. He holds that trombone and the saxophone while God turns the sheet music, pours the bourbon and sings the backing vocals. The jazz, the jazz, the razzmatazz, lighting up the city, charging electricity, recharging this body as it jolts to life. A bop dilawop, a bop shuwop. Thank you.